0: Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist and... Here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. I'm joined today by the multi-Grammy winning singer, Gregory Porter. So Gregory's trajectory, this is a really interesting one. He was originally set to become an American football player, which is a huge career in the US. And it wasn't until he turned 40, 40, that his rich baritone jazz voice caught the attention of industry bigwigs and subsequently jazz heads around the world. His major label debut, Liquid Spirit, went on to become the most streamed jazz album of all time. He's played Glastonbury's Pyramid Stage, sung to the Queen and prior to COVID was traveling over 200 days a year, playing to his adoring fans around the world. So with all that travel and all those miles covered, it's no surprise that today's episode is a long haul one feature length episode. So Gregory joined me from his home in California. We spoke on Zoom and this is a really touching, personal, evocative episode. Gregory says that it's like therapy. And he remembers his travels so vividly that each destination is just so full of emotion as he describes it to us. We're gonna go on a journey from the west to the east coast of the US, across Russia on the Trans-Siberian Railway, and to a secret French island that I had never heard of. Maybe I should have done, but I'd never heard of it, which is now firmly added to my travel wish list. Oh, and he serenades us not once, but twice on this episode. So prepared to be soothed by that velvety voice I think you're going to enjoy this one so let's get started Gregory Porter welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast thank you so much for joining me how are you today
1: I am wonderful and, and thank you so much for having me what an interesting podcast you know and, and really something interesting to think about place and time
0: so where are you coming to me from today where are you
1: I am in my hometown, Bakersfield, California, just a, an hour and a half, two hours north of Los Angeles.
0: And you are Bakersfield born and bred?
1: A Bakersfield, uh, you know, I never know what that word means, bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, neither do I really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it, rolls off, it rolls off the tongue beautifully, so it's it poetic. Yeah. Um Raised in Bakersfield. Uh, We we came here when I was a young boy. I guess I was like seven when we came to Bakersfield, but uh, Mm -hmm. born in Sacramento, California, was there for just six months, lived my first years of life uh, up to first grade uh, uh, in Los Angeles, and then we moved to Bakersfield, yeah.
0: So tell me about Bakersfield because I mean you, as you say, you you, you spend a lot of your childhood there, and and you're still living there now, and you you know could be living anywhere in the world right now, yeah. and you you haven't moved from there. So what is yeah. it about it that you love?
1: Well, um, you know it's it's it has a small town vibe. <laughs> this rumors are still able to fly around the town if some you know something interesting is going on. It is. Uh, in the central valley so this is uh, agriculture is extraordinarily important here mm-hmm. um they call it the breadbasket of america the central valley of california so uh cotton um citrus uh, all your lettuces cabbages fruit all of that is is coming from here
0: growing in that california sunshine
1: yeah my mother came here uh as a young girl she was picking cotton this was the That was the first time she had an experience with Bakersfield. She lived here when she was a a girl. For me, it's been home. I left here when I was 18. That was the last time I lived here and I I moved back about five years ago. So 25, 30 years of being absent has been extraordinary. Coming back, it's like some things are the same and some things are very different. But um, it's been a home. It's been, this is where my most of my family still lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, this, is, this is home, this is soil. This, these are the streets I remember, so yeah. And
0: now you're there with your family.
1: Yep, yep, now I'm there with my family. My, my son is, is, is eight and he's, uh, he's growing up here, yeah.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Well, speaking of children and childhood, let's get started with your travel diaries because the first chapter is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be?
1: My mother was a, um, <laughs> she really loved to travel and, um, in the car, she, she would, um, she was such a dreamer, such a dreamer. And, uh, there was eight kids, five boys and three girls. And we always had a station wagon. So we would load up the station wagon and go anywhere she desired. So we, we got in the station wagon and she was, you know, with eight kids, it wasn't a thing to like stop at McDonald's and and buy everybody food because that's that's a 100 bucks. You know, even in 1970 something, she was, you know, a, a, a pound of salami and a pound of cheese and bread and a gallon of juice and eight kids piled in and eight kids piled in. Now, there were seatbelt laws, but they, they were kind of new in America. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there weren't eight seatbelts plus my mother, nine seatbelts in that car. So, you know, I do have memories of standing up in the car as a child, uh, in, in these, uh, <laughs> these, in the, in this car, but, um, anyway, Yosemite, um, uh. Yosemite in, in, uh, uh, you know, was a place that we, we first went, that was our, that was my first major trip. And I remember getting out and seeing the giant redwood trees, giant pines. And it was just extraordinary mm. um, to think that these trees, which have grown hundreds of years and um, just the great mountains, El Capitan, you know, this giant, it, was, it looks like a giant stone just placed upon its edge yeah coming from what then at the time was basically the hood 36th to normandy the hood in la and going to yosemite was just a extraordinarily beautiful extraordinarily uh, n- natural awe-inspiring uh, heavenly because once you get into the trees and underneath the canopy of of, of all the trees, it's surreal, it's mm-hmm. surreal mm-hmm. and and I imagine as, as a grown man, well I've been there since I've, I was, I've, I've been a grown man, and it still makes me feel tiny. Mm-hmm. but as a child, my older brothers were already at, you know at thirteen and fourteen, they were already six, six foot four, and they seemed like giants. and I just remember feeling... My brothers were giants, and they looked tiny in this forest. And then I was at their knees, so I, mm. I, I was it was beyond small, you know.
0: Or yeah. inspiring destination. Yeah,
1: awe-inspiring destination, and uh, the nature. I think that may have been the first time I seen I'd seen wild animals, uh, deer, just you know, leaping across the road, and yeah. And the family thing that happens, being in the car—these these are the things that are precious to me now. D- during this pandemic, I, I lost my brother and my sister.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: And but the, the the memories in that green car, making these sandwiches that I talked about on the the, the front bonnet of the car. And, and we all just gathered around the car, looking at these trees and eating these sandwiches together as a family. Those are precious, golden, golden, golden memories. Uh, it wasn't just travel; it's the people that you travel with that make it a real memory. So, Completely. really, something,
0: yeah. The con- the connection that you that you forge in those moments live on yeah. lives on forever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And inevitably, one of the little ones would be sitting on. One of the bigger ones' laps. So I would sit on my sister Patrice's lap. She's one of the, my, my, she's the sister that passed uh, here recently. And um, yeah, I just, I just, I remember the, the wind, the trees, and sitting on her lap and being nurtured as, as a, as a young, young boy. So it was, yeah, it was, it was all part of the travel experience. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, I say once again how sorry I am for your loss. I had, I had read that you had lost a, a a couple of your siblings, and I can't imagine uh-huh. how how difficult it and painful it must be, especially in this time when people need to connect so much in grief. Right, and yet you're being, and yet you're you're not able to. So I I really extend my sympathies to you.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, a really extraordinary time, and but but but, but this is interesting, you know. My therapy, I, you know, I haven't <laughs> ever quite found a therapist to work through all of this, this loss yet, but my therapy has been talking about it. And so even just this moment that we're having now, talking about the memory, I hadn't thought about traveling to Yosemite. I hadn't thought about it until mm-hmm. this conversation came up and what, what was my first, and it was. And, and so going back th- through those memories, the last couple of days in, in preparation of talking to you like wow yes I remember I remember the car I remember the smell of the sandwich and the smell of the pine when we got out of the car and the and the being the towering trees and the mountain and it just and my mother the leader of this this gang, this the leader. She was fearless. The car wasn't that great. The tires weren't that great, but she was fearless and, and she just knew everything was gonna be okay and, and it was. It was.
0: And going back through those memories is comforting, I hope.
1: Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love
0: it. Yeah. Well, I, I was um, interested to read that you despite having this incredible gift, your path originally was not necessarily to be a singer, you were going to go into sports.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I played football and I was good enough in high school to get a a scholarship at, at San Diego State University. And shortly after joining the team in San Diego, I, I injured my shoulder. Mm. Um, but for me, the path of sports got me to college. I, I you know, it, it, it paid for my my college and this is the route. This was the stamp. This was the label that I had on me. It was like college athlete. Mm-hmm. And at the point at which I injured my shoulder and I didn't have that title of college athlete, um, I had a little a bit of an identity, not crisis, but identity uh, search. Well, what am I, what am I now? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student without question, but what's my thing? And so I had to go back to my original love, which was music. I had always sang, but, you know, I, I, I could never think that it could be a, a career.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't have that kind of, you know, self-confidence or, or like, yes, hundreds or thousands of people will come and see me sing my songs that every day my brothers and sisters tell me to shut up singing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's
0: one of those, it is one of those dream careers that, seems almost unattainable
1: it was a dream and but but a dream that you just like you know yes we all want to fly in space but that we, we don't know how right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know it was it, it was tantamount to flying in space i was like eh, eh, I yeah i'd love to do it but i have no way of doing that and, and somehow the dream has come true and i, I find myself traveling around the world 250 shows a year and I'm, when, when you when I say travel I mean really moving yes um, and so it's, it's been extraordinary
0: yeah so chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with where it comes to mind
1: you know there's only one way to find out if you're uh, a water baby and that's to go to the water <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah my mother um again, piling everybody in the car and going to the beach. Now, that wasn't a very far drive to the beach from our home Mm -hmm. to the beach. It took about an hour. Uh, But we would go to Santa Monica Beach uh, in LA. um, And the ocean, the crash of the waves would entrance me. It was it was mind blowing, really, uh, what the water would do to me. And I think if I think about the effects of water, uh, the properties of water, the uh, the way that my mother would speak about water in her sermons. My mother was a minister.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I find that water is in a lot of my songs from Liquid Spirit to yeah. the, the title of my first record, which was Water. So I've always had this kind of trance-like feeling about being next to the water, near the water and the power of what it does to you, standing at the water's edge, this washing, this cleansing, this renewing that water can give.
0: I wonder, do you know the the chef, um, Heston Blumenthal? Have you heard of him?
1: I don't, I haven't, I haven't heard of him.
0: He's um, um, a Michelin star chef here and he's kind of known as the Willy Wonka of of food because he's very scientific in his approach and he's actually the episode that is going to come out the week after you and we had a really interesting discussion about water because it's his main focus now he's got a three Michelin star restaurant in the UK but he's moved out to France to focus on water and it's because um, there's a lot we don't understand about water or there's a lot that we've got to learn about water and the energy that it Carries, you know water is such a vessel for energy and we're comprised 70 percent of water so if yeah. we think about that then no wonder that we feel its effect so viscerally because yeah. water is energy
1: right 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 yeah it, absolutely and uh, i love to think about myself in, a, in an elemental way and when covered in water being like water and and Maybe maybe the the barrier that is my skin is less so when I'm in water. And so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that I do in order to take myself to that spiritual place to write a song that that <laughs> I feel like it, like a, a kung fu master might say, be like water.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. And how, how I mean, do you take a lot of inspiration from the destinations that you've been to in your songwriting?
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I mean, um, I was. I wrote. I wrote "Liquid Spirit" on the train in France. I wrote uh, "Concord" on a plane on my way to London. Hmm. I I write in travel. That's the incredible. beginnings of many of my songs came about on trains. Many trains going across Europe. Mm-hmm. But the very beginning of my songwriting, once I became a, a, a touring professional, was on those early trains in uh, Eastern Europe. But we'll talk about that maybe later in the program. And I don't know what a, what it is about seeing different people being in motion and seeing different vistas that brings up. It brings up the future and it brings up the past for me. Even just the function, the physical function of my eyes, uh, landscape going past my eyes just brings up memories for me. Yeah.
0: So it's a true source of
1: inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you hurt your shoulder. You were unable to play American football and you moved from California to Brooklyn with your brother. Is that yep. the kind of chain of events?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, were you in? Bedford Stuyvesant, was it?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was in yeah,
0: and it at that time I imagine was really on the ascent in terms of ultra, kind of making that transition from being old Brooklyn to being ultra cool Brooklyn.
1: Right, there were some sections of, um, you know, the Williamsburg that was already kind of hip and cool, but yes, everything was is was kind of emerging, people starting to see the value and the beauty of of these neighborhoods and where we were in Bedford Stuyvesant was just a, a pocket, an extraordinary pocket of and I don't I don't mean to say that it was just a, it was special, but this is this was the pocket that I knew. Yeah, um, because yes, all of Brooklyn is is special in its own way. But uh, the level of talent that was in these few little blocks where I was at was just really extraordinary from singers to actors to uh, producers, writers, uh, filmmakers. Mm. So all of my my friends that gathered at the coffee shop, my brother's coffee shop called Breadsty. Great name. Yeah, it was really something. Uh, Chad Bozeman. <laughs> Black Panther mm-hmm. and <laughs> known all over the world mm. was Mine and my brother's chess partner. No way. And you know, my brother was a better chess player. So I was slightly jealous because, you know, him and my brother would play for hours on end. And I felt like left out of the equation because my game wasn't so good. <laughs> but um but we would talk and 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 Chad would talk about his dreams about the future, about maybe having a career. In, in acting and writing. He was studying at the time, mm-hmm. um, but just it's it was so amazing. I was talking to, to him about my dreams about music and I would bring in different. I, I remember bringing in illusions. One of the songs from my first record mm-hmm. and singing. Mm-hmm. He was sitting over in the corner. There was a in the other corner. There was an English teacher and my brother was there, his wife. And I remember singing I've been searching all the corners of my so we Sweeping dust and memories beneath the carpet that we purchased somewhere on some cool retreat somewhere in Africa somewhere. I sang that mm. Chad responded to it. The English teacher in the corner was telling me, oh, maybe you should flip this word and that would change the tense and it would be, a you know, and my brother was like, Yeah, man, yeah, keep on going. He was encouraging me. This was the this was the thing I would do. I would bring in something that I wrote and and give it, give a snippet of it to the people in the coffee shop and, and get it sanctioned. Yeah. And I would take it to the rest of the world. Like
0: workshopping <laughs> like... it almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. workshopping it but in with the coffee shop.
0: Hyper talented people all around you. Hyper talented people that I didn't
1: know would be, be right star. there were there were there there were authors there. There were people who are the, on the great comedy circuits now. I, I And mean, I just we didn't know who we were at the time. It was just a bunch of people trying to find their way in New York City. But now, um, as I flipped through magazines of of who's who and the and the movers and shakers <laughs> a, a lot of them were sipping coffee at the same time in my brother's coffee shop yeah
0: so how can you ex- how do you explain that i mean what there must have been an en- it's, it's cliche to say there must have been something in the air but what was there like a, you know an energy that just inspired people
1: yes there was an energy that was inspiring there also was a lot of conversation like people in Harlem saying, well, I heard Bed-Stuy is, is popping now. I heard, you know, and so, yeah, there's just the energy that is created and the several things that happened. Um, it was a soulful, beautiful environment. Also the rent at the time was not super high. Mm-hmm. And so artists could uh, sustain themselves there in a way. It was just a pocket of time that I don't know even exists now, because you know, rent now has skyrocketed. It may be a little a bit prohibitive for a young uh, beginning artist now in the neighborhood. Now, I, I, I don't, I don't, I have, I've moved away about, you know, five years ago. So, but just word on the street is that it's, you know, real estate is going up, up, up. <laughs> but um, it was an extraordinary time and there was so much both musical energy and artistic energy, and cultural energy, to the beginnings of people to under, understanding uh, the beauty, reassessing the beauty and value of Black culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it is for my generation as well. There were some things that we, even some things that we were ashamed of, whether it be the blues, whether it be the paintings with with large. Lips and, and big hips, something that we, we, we were we were made to be ashamed of. All of a sudden, realizing, this is us. This is the beauty of us. Mm. And uh, so, this the concentration of that in in a neighborhood like uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, was really something that was good for me. Also, the jazz clubs in Brooklyn and in Harlem, two of the most profound and soulful neighborhoods in the world, let alone uh, the country.
0: Mm, and it was uh, after gigging in Harlem that you got your initial record deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um the head of uh, uh, Motema Records. Um, I invited her to Saint Nick's Pub and I played a couple of songs. She was like, yeah, we got to get that recorded. I was like, okay, mm. let's do that. Mm. But I tell you, what made me say that I should be out there in the world was the different people that would come to this club in Harlem, Uh Uh, Japanese people. There were Germans, British people, uh, a lot of French people, you know, maybe two or three at a time over the weeks. And Mm -hmm. all of them would ask me after my set, when are you coming to France? When are you coming to Japan? When they they thought that I had some international tour, which made me say, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. These people think I'm supposed to be there. Why don't I think I'm supposed to be there? They were the spark that made me say, "Okay, I need to develop myself to to move to be heard internationally because I, these are international people and they want to hear me in their hometowns.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that leads me really neatly on to chapter three because that's the place where you learn the most about yourself.
1: My first stamp on my passport was Russia. Interesting. And
0: why Russia? Why was that the first place you headed to? I
1: have no idea. I have no idea. Russia was just opening up. Right. This was about 2002, 2003, 2004, but <laughs> there were still many places where Americans hadn't traveled widely and mm-hmm. uh definitely these places I was going were were not tourist destinations. Um but I was with a a musician and a tour leader that he was adventurous and he always felt like you know, there's money deep in Siberia that's that's, you know, and people that want to hear music way in Siberia and we should go find it. Now, when we say money, it was like the same money I was making in New York City. Yeah, but it was on the other side of the world. I had been playing to you know, like sold out crowds in a in a black jazz dive bar in Harlem, which was Saint Nick's Pub, mm-hmm. but I had never been exposed to like larger stages just for music. I had done theater. I was doing theater for some years before and when I had some success, I was in a Tony nominated uh, musical called it ain't nothing but the blues, but just music just under my name, filling an 800 seat thousand seat 1500 seat place. I hadn't had that before and or the pressure of that or the, mm-hmm. the, the weight of that or the prestige of that. I found it in Russia, but in an interesting way, because there had been not much jazz going to these areas. And because particularly not much jazz from a black jazz singer, um, it became a draw. And so I would show up to these towns, Nizhny Vartovsk, Omsk, Tomsk, deep into Siberia.
0: Into, really, truly into Siberia we're
1: going. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about getting off the train and the snow is up over your head.
0: Quite the contrast to growing up in Cali.
1: <laughs> right, right. These tunnels of snow had been dug, dug out to get to the, to the hotel. So once I, I got to these places and they treated me like a star without having a record, just based on them playing my demo on the radio, because things were so like in a way accessible, like you could get on town, come to town the night before, go to the radio station, they would play your demo. It would go out to the people list on, to the city and you'd say, I'll be here tomorrow. And boom, the next huh. day there's 800 people, a thousand people.
0: What an interesting way of connecting <laughs> to fans. If only it was that simple, just everywhere.
1: There were some shady uh, promoters because I was doing a couple of Nat King Cole songs. Mm-hmm. They would say Nat King Cole is coming to town. You know, <laughs> <laughs> people were like, "Isn't that guy kind of old? Isn't he dead?" You know? <laughs> so I, so I'd come out on stage, and they were, "Nah, Nat King Cole, Nat King Cole." You no, know, reg Porter singing Nat King Cole. <laughs> you know. A lot of funny stuff was happening, but um, yeah, yeah. That I found that I was comfortable on stage and that I could move people with music. And even though they didn't understand everything that I was singing and saying, I could move people with emotion. And so I found myself and found my, my ability to affect large people larger groups of people with with my voice. I found my my voice at I, I think 70 cities in, in Russia and Ukraine. So, yeah. But I found myself because of so much travel on the train, because of so much travel period, because these cities are so far apart. Yeah. Um, I, I really had time to think. I wasn't under the pressure that some New York City can give you, you know, pressure to, to 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 make money to pay rent I was on these trains just relaxing and and, and a lot
0: of nothingness right a lot of nothingness so much emptiness in the yeah. that part of Russia
1: sometimes just looking at the snow and and thinking about what my next move would be and because I was having this interesting success without a record in throughout Russia and Ukraine I was like okay, maybe, maybe this will work in France and Italy and London and all over the world. And you were right. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it.
0: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cosy retreat for fellow travellers, just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, It's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So let's pause there and move on to chapter four, which is the big one, your all-time favorite destination. I mean, like you say, you're spending 200 plus days on the road each year. So where is the place that means the most to you? Where have you loved the most?
1: That is so hard.
0: I know it's such a hard question. And, and, and for everyone, it of course changes often from year to year.
1: You know, sometimes when I'm on tour and doing music, um, I feel like I'm on an eating tour in, in a way. I'm, I'm <laughs> tasting and sampling all the amazing cuisine all over the world. And you said it does change. It, it actually does change uh, my favorite place. I, I think about this, this, this journey on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Mm-hmm
0: which is a bucket list uh, journey for so many people, isn't it? I mean, it really right. is something that it's one of those things that you hope to do once in a lifetime.
1: Yeah. Right. So, 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 so starting off in, in Moscow, uh, you know, making stops and when I say stops, stops for a couple of days or mm-hmm. three or four days to do a concert uh, to rehearsal and concert stop stopping in, Maybe your first stop is uh, Yekaterinburg. And then after that, you go to uh, Tumen and then Omsk and then Tomsk. And then, um, you know, maybe down uh, towards the the, the the Mongolian border. The best and the worst of hotels, the most exhilarating and disappointing experiences, extraordinary food. But when you get off the train and you go into a hotel where everything is painted in the same color the walls the ceiling the floor the sink is painted in the same color blue as the walls you're like where am i (laughs) it was extraordinary yeah when you get off that train that train that 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 serves you this tea this black tea that comes out of the kettle that's brought to you by the, uh, it's not the conductor, but the uh, the, the train porter. The, tr- the tea is so delicious. And when you stop, somebody comes on the train and they're selling roasted chicken and boiled potatoes and onions, and they'll give you a little dish of salt for you to dip the onions in. This is, it's, it, it was just such a, a cultural immersion into a, a, an extraordinary history uh, it, it, it was eye-opening and very profound for me. And mm-hmm. that, that Russia, I fear, is going away because it was just maybe a bit, a bit too soulful, <laughs> shall I say. It was pretty, it was pretty raw. And I, and I love that. I love yeah. the fact that, that a sweet Babishka was selling chicken on the side of the train. And it was awesome and it was a chicken she grew in her own backyard and it was a, she was selling jars of preserves from fruit that grew on her tree it was just
0: oh what a powerful memory it's just so yeah. evocative how you're describing it it sounds yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing the,
1: but the concert halls were extraordinary and the whole you know you would go into this city and everything wasn't perfect and beautiful but then you'd come to this amazing hotel and it was just everything with this, the level of service was uneven but everything was extraordinary and it's, it's such a profound memory in my head. Mm-hmm. Now I've been to the South of France. I've been to amazing uh, uh, resorts in the Swiss Alps and I've been to incredible places, underground jazz clubs in, in Tokyo, Japan. And they are all, they all have this enormous special place for me, but because it was the, the, the first international travel, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to say, I, I, I'll I won't even say what place I'll just say all of those cities along the Trans-Siberian.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And, and you do, and you mentioned earlier then that, you know, you feel like your touring is almost like a, a, a culinary tour as well. Is there yeah. a place that you look forward to getting to because they have the best food as far as you're concerned or where you love to eat the most?
1: Man, there's just so much culinary beauty in Japan, that is just—I um, really love it. I love sushi, but it's not just sushi. It's just the uh, the way that they treat everything as though it is precious and and expensive. A potato or a daikon is not a particularly expensive thing, but the care that's taken in in the cutting of it and the preparation of it it elevates. If if you if you really treat a potato a certain way slice it rinse it boil it then fry it you know
0: <laughs> if you put that much love and attention into something it
1: elevates what it is yeah and so you and so you eat this potato and you're like why is this potato so good because it's been treated <laughs> yeah. like it's a precious piece of 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 tuna belly you do understand what i'm saying yeah totally it's been elevated in that way and plus the aesthetics of food arrangement and you know i don't want to you know just romanticize the you know the gardens and the temples but all of that is amazing to me too and 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 you know if i could just walk through gardens and temples in in japan i'd be happy mm-hmm. <laughs> But then the countryside is extraordinary. You know, you get out of the city and the countryside is just like, it's just what you didn't imagine Japan to be. Um, There's a lot out there, you know?
0: Yeah. If you look beyond the major tourist hubs, there's so much to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and both in the north and south, uh, we went to an area, a Konozawa, and I went to a silk factory Mm -hmm. where they, um, they produce silk in the traditional ways and they dyed it in the traditional ways. And they 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 were this factory was making kimonos uh, in a traditional way. Yeah. Not particularly cheap. It was eight eight to ten thousand dollars per garment. Right. Right. I because guess, this, I guess a <laughs> lot
0: of craftsmanship is yeah, going into right, that.
1: Right. This was special, special silk. And it was dyed by we, we kept going by these these gorgeous uh, fields of say flowers red flower. Mm. And this is what they used to dye the silk. Uh. And and we saw them dye the silk in this this uh safflower dye and it was just amazing. We went to a uh a noodle restaurant where the silk is so famous that they eat it. So inside the noodles is silk and no. Is it's it was What does it taste like? Amazing. It tastes good. Uh, yes. It, yeah. <laughs> it's Split not a lot. Not long strands of silk, but silk is incorporated into the dough uh, oh, of, of the noodles. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's healthy and delicious. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. And, um, yeah, they say they have, they live long lives. So mm-hmm.
0: was oh, that's oh, fascinating. Well, I dream of going to Japan, so I yeah. will Look out for some silk, silky noodles on the menu. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the noodles are so silky. Wow, there's <laughs> silk in those noodles.
0: <laughs> so chapter five is your hidden gem. Can you tell me about a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know so much about?
1: There's a French island that I had the most wonderful experience uh, performing at. Um, and I had a couple of days, so I ended up staying there. Po- poker rolls. Poker Rolls.
0: That's the name of the island.
1: That's the name. Oh, I've of the never island. heard of it. Where is it? Yeah. So, yeah um, off the the southern coast. Poker Rolls. Uh, yeah. So t- paint.
0: Help me paint a picture of what it looks like.
1: No cars. Hmm. When you get there by boat, um, everybody is. Uh, Either on a bike or some kind of uh, uh, electric cart or no cars, small engines, um, but mostly bikes and walking. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a a stillness and a quietness and yeah, just a a beauty. And it's just the place I'm always amazed at how music has taken me places that i had i I couldn't have even fathomed Mm -hmm. i couldn't fathom going to Polka rolls and when i get there the food was extraordinary the wine was extraordinary you know uh whether they're making it or growing it there or importing it from the from the island everything was was just so wonderful the seafood was extraordinary and we had um you know just like in, in, in a cliche of a dream, uh, there was a, a, an old castle at the top of a hill on the coast of Pokoro's and they laid out a big long table and we had this amazing seafood feast and we had three or four different wines. We started off with a, with a beautiful champagne and it went on with a white wine and for dinner for the main course, we had an amazing red wine. And the evening just stretched on, and the lights uh you know from the sun slowly dimmed then the then the sunset and then the candlelight, and then people broke out the guitars and you know it was just how extraordinary. romantic extraordinary and then we went we walked down from the castle and just walked around the town, and then we walked onto the beach, and on the beach were uh beach performers, yeah. Who who were just out there having fun? So there was a guy who had a drum around his neck, a guitar, uh, there were horn players, and so we just joined into this little group. My my drummer put this drum around his neck, and we ended up performing for the street performers for the beach performers, and it was it was a wonderful so cool, yep. Yeah, wonderful experience in, in poker rolls.
0: So, in contrast, chapter six is your worst travel experience.
1: My worst travel experience. <laughs> in the course of moving all around the world quickly, there can be some, you know, extraordinarily difficult and awful things that, that can happen.
0: <laughs> yes, I imagine.
1: I think my, my worst, uh, travel experience. Um, wow. I, you know, I had <laughs> I, 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 I in my mind, I pulled out several uh, different uh, uh, difficult travel experiences and, and and I keep going from one to the other. But my worst uh, travel uh, experience and, and, and nightmare was in motion because, you know, most of my travel is it's I'm I'm in I'm in motion. I mean, you know, it's, it's the concert. To the hotel to sleep and then boom I'm, mm-hmm. I'm i'm in motion so i was in in ukraine and i lost my passport and
0: last nightmare
1: right and i can't remember the year but there was some kind of terrorist activity that had happened recently mm. and there was real confusion about my hat and you know what it meant there was was i have some religious sect that nobody knew about or was I, uh, you know, <laughs> what was this hat? Right. <laughs> so these um at the border and, and at the time, <laughs> it, I hope I don't get arrested, uh, you know, because uh, for, for tax laws. But <laughs> at the time, <laughs> these were early gigs and they were paying you in cash, like right after the gig. It wasn't mm-hmm. a ton of money, but you know, they were they were paying me in cash. And for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to keep it in one small suitcase that I carried with me. this square box. When you walked around, well, I looked at this box now. I still have it. And it just looks like there's something in that box. <laughs>
0: something
1: suspicious, uh, right? It's, it's like it's like, you know, the guys that carry around those metal suitcases, and they'll have it like uh, <laughs> yeah. handcuffed to their hand.
0: Yeah, yeah, I dare. Even I if exactly it's just you
1: papers, you want to know what's inside. Yeah. Basically, it was that kind of thing. So I'm walking around with one of those kind of cases, not handcuffed to my hand, but damn near. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I had leather straps, you know. <laughs> but anyway, these two big police, Ukrainian police officers, take me to the back room and they counted 3,000 essentially three thousand dollars but i had like seven thousand dollars right so they count this three thousand dollars and they point to the three thousand dollars and they said three thousand good this four thousand bad you take this three thousand we keep Mm -hmm. this now there's a guy. talking to me at a desk, he's huge. The guy standing behind him is huge and has a gun and has his, his hand just resting on the gun. Oh. And so I'm like, wow, this is, this is one of those bad movies. This is one of those bad movies. I'm alone, I have no papers, I have a suitcase full of strange cash. And so I'm like, Greg, just wheel and deal. I start singing to these guys I start singing I start singing Waltz for Debbie in her own sweet world populated by dolls and clowns and a prince and a big purple bear nice. so I start singing to them and they they smile and then And after I'm done singing, I said to the, I said, I take the 3000 and slowly put it on top of the 4,000. And I say this, I need, I need, (laughs) I need, and the guy with, you know, with his hand resting on the gun just starts laughing and, Then the other guy starts laughing and they put my <laughs> money back into my thing and they let me go. And I explained it, explain an it to the next story. promoter what happened and their, their mind is blown. They're like, what? He had his gun and, and I was like, yes, this really <laughs> happened. And they were like, no way. It never happened. I said, yes, it did. Yeah. So it was-
0: I say this is the magical power of your voice, right? <laughs> you, 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 you entranced them. You put a spell on them. Yeah. So <laughs> I,
1: I mean, I, I was, I was quick on my feet with, with that, but yeah, that's how I went down.
0: Wow that is an amazing amazing story I was I did quickly want to ask I mean you're talking about the kind of speed at which you tra- have to travel as a as a performer you know and you're like on this relentless pace going from one place to another to another and it must be quite is it quite kind of frustrating because you're getting glimpses of like incredible places that you've heard of that are beautiful but you can't really that like, you don't really have the time to like get stuck in so are there places that Is there a particular place that you saw and you were like, right, I'm coming back here with my family and we're going to get under the skin of this place and really like have a vacation there?
1: Yeah, well, you know, because this, you know, kind of intense touring like this has has kept up uh, since about we're coming up on 15 years now. I've been able to double back, uh, fortunately, and sometimes I'll have a couple of days off and we'll get to immerse myself. Now, the, the next thing to do is to immerse myself for a month in Istanbul. and, Ooh, and yeah. Which is, whoo! <laughs> just mind-blowing. The food, the culture, the gold, the, the, the markets, the...
0: East meets West.
1: Yeah, Israel was amazing. Um, the beaches in Tel Aviv was you know, extraordinary. Mm. Uh, I had some time in uh, Jakarta. And, and, you know, though it's it's it can be frustrating and nerve-wracking to be in a taxi in Jakarta it, 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 and there seems to be no traffic rules, huh. at the same time when sitting at, at a, a corner uh, street food establishment and, and seeing the, the old people, you know, preparing food so beautifully and and the generosity of people. And and it's just extraordinary. It's just extraordinary travel. And and not to be a traveler like an ugly American or traveler like a a, a elitist to travel humbly. To travel humbly is an extraordinary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, To not feel like you've seen and done everything to not expect the same level of of water pressure that you have at your home. Travel humbly, and you will experience the world as as beautiful as it is. What
0: wise, beautiful words.
1: Yeah. South Africa, my goodness. But fully experiencing South Africa from Cape Town to Johannesburg to Mafi Kane to Kailishta. That means going to some of the townships mm-hmm. and to the beautiful coastal hotels. That means mm-hmm. from having a five-star dinner at those hotels to eating bush meat. You know, just experiencing it all and not being above it all. Just being a human being two weeks mm-hmm. in South Africa was really extraordinary.
0: So we're on to the final chapter of your Travel Diaries, Gregory. Wow, we've been all around the world, but now we're asking you, what is the destination that's at the top of your bucket list? Where is left that you've not yet been that you'd love to go to?
1: Well, this is, this is a place that has maybe a little bit more spiritual connection for me. I think um, I did a DNA swab in order to find out um, where my... Uh, maternal and paternal roots where they go but to find out where that part of my my life part of my roots is from i had considered it and if and i i said if i ever know that would be great but once i found out i didn't know how emotional it would be now black people really all over the world but but Particularly, Black Americans, we don't have a tangible history past a couple of generations because of mm-hmm. the slave trade,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so yeah. to have some idea of where your roots start, the only thing you have is, only thing you have is the last in most Black families, Black American families, is the last known slave, mm. and where they lived.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for me, that was Shreveport, Louisiana. And that's all we had. We were just yeah. like, Mr. Tyler in Shreveport. That's all we had. And so when I got reading that said Sierra Leone, potentially there or uh, indicators that from, from there or Ghana, this was so powerful for me. And I just... Was so emotional. I lost it. I was somebody was yeah. videotaping it even, and I, I just was so intensely emotional for me. And um, and so I said to myself, I won't wait for the tour of of of, of, of Ghana for me to be singing in Ghana. I'll go, and I'll mm-hmm. go to Ghana and Sierra Leone and and mm-hmm. and feel and and absorb uh, the culture and the air and the environment and that's where I'm that's where my origins are and uh, yeah
0: I wonder if you'll feel as emotional when you get there do you think that you'll feel it absolutely
1: absolutely because it's there's a there's a kind of a a a constant nagging pain of not having roots
0: yeah they ground us
1: They, they ground us there's a there's an idea that I mean, you don't have to know exactly who, where, what, but just somewhere now, if you have it, if you know, it's like, yeah, well, my father is from Spain and my mother's from Ireland. Okay. You have an idea of something of, of this, something tangible there, but to be in the wind is, 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 is a nagging thing. And so, to have some place where I could say this is this is there's something there That's a part of me something from there is within me mm. is is a uh, was a was a sweet knowledge and um so I will go and uh and that's a that's a bucket list that's a uh this is a place that will happen yes for the tourism for the food, but most of all f- for the, the just spiritually just like man
0: Mm, yeah that would be a beautiful thing beautiful thing oh wow what a way to end thank you so much Gregory Porter those were your travel diaries it's been such a pleasure to get to talk to you thank you yeah
1: my pleasure my pleasure I told you this was therapy so you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you're in a good kind of a good like red therapy style leather chair yeah right (laughs) (laughs) yeah real pleasure thank you thank you oh well that was gregory porter what a delightful man travel humbly and you will experience the world as beautiful as it is i loved that so gregory's album all rise is out now amazing record be sure to download it Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe on your podcast app so that you're updated with a new episode each week. And if you can't wait till next week or if you're new to the podcast, remember there's the first three seasons to catch up on, from Michael Palin and Rick Stein to Death Patel, Poppy Delevingne and Richard Branson. To find out who's joining me next week, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I would love to hear from you. I love reading all of your messages. I have a quick request. I haven't asked this for a little while. If you've been enjoying the season, I would absolutely love it if you could just take a couple of minutes, not even that, to leave a quick review on the podcast app that you use. It just really helps other people to discover the podcast. It helps the podcast to grow even more. I'd be really grateful. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back next week. Airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the travel diaries.
1: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust new custom spray 5 in 1 gives you control with 5 different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies,